This is a slightly different, heavily internationally flavored episode of The Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm not Joseph Cohen, as you might have guessed, but Katya Ivanova from Tilburg University, the Netherlands. And I'm John Boy from Leiden University, also in the Netherlands. Today we will discuss the peculiarities and contributions of Dutch sociology. We are joined by Professor Hiselinde Kalpers and Dr. Eva Jaspers. Professor Kalpers is now a research professor of sociology at Catholic University Leuven, Belgium, but was until recently a professor of cultural sociology and chair of the sociology department of the University of Amsterdam. Dr. Eva Jaspers is an assistant professor of sociology at Utrecht University and is currently the vice chair of the Dutch Sociological Association, of which Giselinde Kalpers was also a board member. Our discussion was recorded on October 30th, 2019. I was really excited when I was invited to co-host this episode of the Annex, because I often feel that there is a true divide between North American and European sociologists, primarily when it comes to exposure. At least in my little corner of the sociological universe, uh, namely family sociology, European scholars readily cite and are interested in publishing in American journals, but our work does not appear to be readily accepted by American scholars. Therefore, I was really happy to get this uh, invitation to discuss the preoccupations and peculiarities of Dutch sociology. Um, and it seems like the recent episode of the, uh, on the German sociological divide was quite positively received, uh, judging by the Twitter reactions. Yeah, and I was happy to contribute an international perspective as well, and for quite similar reasons as Katya. I've been back in Europe now for nearly five years after doing my PhD in the U.S., and I'm often struck by really how parochial the perspective of American sociologists can be. They uh, often take, seem to take it for granted that we read the big American journals and attend the ASA meeting, but the flow quite often seems to be going just in one direction. I think the contrast is maybe especially striking from my perch now here in Dutch academia because academics here are so very internationally oriented, uh, especially in comparison to the U.S. That may not be surprising given we're in a small country of just 17 million people, but it's still worth uh, unpacking a little bit more, something I think we'll be doing in our conversation today. Yeah, so we're happy to be joined by, two, uh, by our distinguished guests, Giselinde and Eva. When we invited them, we mentioned that the discussion of Dutch sociology might benefit from the participation of some actual Dutch sociologists, uh, given that neither John nor I are Dutch, rather than migrants, uh, you know, as ourselves. So uh, welcome, Eva. Welcome, Giselinde. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, very happy to have you. I guess we'll start with a short introduction of the historical background of Dutch sociology. And uh, I think that Hislinde and Eva are greatly positioned to give this, given that they are representatives of two of the key research schools in the Netherlands. So Eva, would you like to uh, give us some background about uh, your research school? I would, even though I'm not very knowledgeable about the history of the research school. I've only been part for about 15 years or so, um, and it existed a long time before that. But I think what is quite unique about this school is that it was developed by some German professors, actually, uh, migrants to the Netherlands, <laughs> and they were at different Dutch universities. But they felt that sociology needed a very uh, thorough and strict approach to doing research. And they founded this um, inter-university school, the ICS, it is um, called, and they have trained over, well, close to 300 PhD students now, I think, in the past 35 years or so. So it were originally two, two Dutch universities and then a third joined and recently part of uh, a fourth also joined. And I think what's quite unique about this school is that I've always felt a very strong um, spirit of collaboration uh, across universities. So Eva was telling us about the, yeah, the ICS, the Inter-University, how is the full name Inter-University Center? Inter-University Center for Sociological Theory and Methodology. And methodology, yes, of yes. which I'm also uh, one of the 300, I guess, now PhD uh, graduates. Mm -hmm. so, um, and Hiselinda will tell us about the other key school in sociology, the ASSR. Yeah, so 
um, so let's first explain the school, and then I would like to say something about the history because there is it's very often also s sort of presented as if there were two sort of opposing schools. And what I really would like to point out now or later is that mm -hmm. they actually emerged from a very similar historical moment, and that they have some things in common that actually uh, that we tend to overlook because we're so focused on how everybody is so very very different. <laughs> uh, but the first thing I want to say, so uh, so I was raised, I would say, in the school that is what well, used to be called the ASSR or the Amsterdam School, and now has become part of a larger institution called the AISSR, the Amsterdam Institute of Social Science Research. So that is based mostly in the University of Amsterdam, and it was actually a combination of sociologists working closely with anthropologists and political scientists uh, with a strong focus on comparative historical research. So it was strongly influenced by the work of Norbert Elias in the beginning, but also by the work of a lot of anthropologists and also by Pierre Bourdieu, who was a sort of affiliate member of the school. So it's sort of more qualitative mixed method research if you compare it it's it's more historical and it has a sort of different more relational understanding and what i think what's interesting if you want to sort of position it in understandable terms for american so or international sociologists is that in recent decades maybe over the past 10 15 years it has latched on to the sort of american school of cultural sociology and there are a lot of affinities between this amsterdam school profile and the sort of cultural sociology so the focus on meaning the focus on comparative work the combination of different sort of methods so there is a lot of affinity there and that is what in the past 15 years how the amsterdam school has sort of developed to join with that sort of approach. And what I really would like to really, the thing I would like to stress is that so in the Dutch context, there has been a lot of stress on how different all this is and completely different and totally absolutely not the same thing. And I think this might be typical of being you know, a small country where everybody is sort of competing for a very limited number of resources and everybody knows each other. Uh, but what I think is helpful to understand is that both these schools emerged more or less in the same time, so in the mid-1980s, and it's actually both of these schools were founded by people who sort of managed to survive the, the very big turmoil of the 1960s and 70s. So this was in the Netherlands, as in many other European countries and also in the US, was a period of really student protest, and especially social science faculties were very, very strongly hit by this. And so there was a very strong sort of presence of Marxist and communist and critical researchers. And in all Dutch universities, there was a small group of social scientists that sort of withdrew and sort of tried to do empirical stuff and tried to really find things out and not engage with all the debates. So while everybody else was out there killing each other and trying and sabotaging uh, their colleagues and doing political stuff and hanging out with the students who were all activists. There were small groups of people who were actually trying to sort of consolidate their base. And when everything collapsed in the 1980s, they sort of, they were the survivors because everybody else, so they were sort of, and that's, and that's how they sort of strengthened. So in, in different places, they actually, and that's why, I would say in Dutch sociology, you still see a very, very strong tendency towards empirical work and towards comparative work and a very sort of wary attitude when it comes to political or critical approaches. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. this is really what you see both in the ASSR and in the ICS. So even though there are strong differences, there is the tendency of we are, we are researchers, we do research, we, we describe things, we interpret things, we do theory, but we're not going out on the street and we're not critical and we're not that very so. And I think this is a very strong, and I think that has to do with this fairly old tradition. So there is a strong sort of common denominator even to these two schools that really like to define themselves as very, very different. It is true that indeed uh, there are actually full dissertations written even on Dutch sociology. There is yeah. one by Carla van El, and yes. it's very interesting how the entire thing is framed around these two opposing schools yeah. uh, very much. But it, it becomes very clear that the schools have been 
very focal in the survival of sociology after the crisis period, 70s. Yeah. So that's a good point to uh, yeah. keep in mind. Yeah. They're not as different as it has been highlighted, I guess. Yeah. And I would like to add that to me, actually, this strong divide that is often perceived as as if, as if there are two opposing schools. So for me, the longer I am in, in academia, the less I experience that there, there is this divide. And I think that is true for many people of my generation or younger, that we feel actually that we have quite a lot in common, even when we use different methodologies sometimes or different approaches. But that's maybe also because of my work within the Dutch Sociological Association. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, j- but just as a counterpoint to that, um, I mean, one of the one of the reasons I thought the uh, the peculiarities of Dutch sociology are, are really worth um, dwelling on a little bit is because, yeah, when you come into Dutch sociology from outside, it does it does seem very weird. Another mm-hmm. way to say pe- peculiar that uh, these two schools, these two institutions, are so very present in in every discussion. So right from the get go, I remember people you know, kind of whispering about, oh, so 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 didn't get this this grant because the reviewers were all from the opposing side. And uh, I think there's yeah. a lot of, uh, to me, it seems like, uh, you know, having having entered this world kind of uh, from the side, the sideways, a lot of resentments, a lot of suspicion, mutual suspicions still to this day between these two camps, even though, as Christalina points out, they do, in a way, um, both champion a, a similar program of integrated empirical and theoretical research and so on. But even so, it seems like, yeah, it's st- still a divide that is very, very much felt. Maybe that has something to do with, with the Amsterdam environment where I landed, but yeah. I think that the UVA in that respect is really the place where you can kind of feel it a bit more because it is more of a mixed uh, environment with representatives of both schools, while, for example, other departments are more heavily let's say one school or another or none of them we have to acknowledge also that there are a few other universities that are not affiliated with either of the schools like Tilburg right where you are where I am now yeah and Rotterdam being another one yes but I have to admit that as an ICS trained PhD I also only truly uh, realized the existence of this kind of tension when I came as a postdoc at the UVA. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Amsterdam, I think so the UVA is is a little different in that respect. So that well, so the ASSR was started there and still has very strong, but there has increasingly been a group of people, and there is also now a group of people within the department that has joined ICS formally. Uh, and I think the UVA is different. In the Dutch context, because it is a department that has the whole range of of sorts of sociology from the sort of very big quantitative big data sets, uh, very strongly hypothesis-based research to very qualitative, uh, more open-ended sort of and anything in between. What I've always said as chair is that it's actually so it's it's a it's a divide that you see in every you know in, in all of sociology. Uh, that's actually sort of framed in terms of school in the Dutch context. So I've just moved to Leuven mm. in Belgium. And it's interesting because that's another one of the rare departments where there is people doing all sorts of research, all sorts of topics, different methodologies. And you see the same tensions. It's just not given the same name <laughs> yeah, because because the schools are not there. But I think yeah. every I think all around the world, so when there are departments that really try to do different sorts of approaches comes with specific tensions because it comes with different understandings of what science is about. It's just that if you have these ready-made labels, <laughs> then it really, first of all, it helps you interpret it. And then also it, yeah, it sort of widens the divide in many ways. It becomes very identity. You kind of, you, you can ground your identity in a certain thing a yes. little bit. <laughs> yes. People yeah. like that. <laughs> yes. Some people, even yeah. sociologists, they're just human. They like to ground their identity in labels yes. and then gossip about the others, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, perhaps while we're on the topic of identity, it would be, um, it would be worth um, going a little bit into how, yeah, sociological identities are formed, especially at the young career stage. So for PhD candidates, early faculty members, where the, I think the research schools, again, play quite a big role. So Katya identified as an ICS PhD. Mm-hmm. And I think on the other side, you would you would find the same. 
that uh, re, you know PhD graduates would would uh, specify which uh, research school they came out of. And perhaps we can just talk a little bit about how how that whole system works of becoming a PhD candidate and how, how you develop your projects and how how that early career trajectory t- tends to tends to work. Especially that it is so different from my impression that it's so different in John, you're the one to say best um, from how PhDs are uh, done in the States um, yeah. in particular. Well, I, I know that whenever I whenever I mentioned that I took, you know, more than a certain number of years to complete my PhD, which as is common in the US, the people here, they kind of grin and say, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> you were in the US. Uh, here, here, people do tend to do it, you know, within the five or so years. Um, four. Sure. Four even. Yeah. And uh, four even. And I think a big part of that is because you're an employee and you actually have uh, of the university rather than a student. I mean, if people are not PhD students. They're they're um, they're PhD researchers. People often will will say introduce themselves as I'm a PhD, meaning I am yeah. hired hired to do a PhD. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you actually have full benefits, and you have time and space and security to do the work and support. Phenomenal support. Yeah. And support. And I think the support is, is another uh, place maybe where the research schools come in. So maybe maybe we can use you as a case study, Katya. How, how, <laughs> how, did, how did that work in your case? I've always said that uh, the Netherlands is a phenomenal place to do a PhD because of all the opportunities that you're given. I was hired on an internal project, which meant that I, I was working, I was developing the project myself. So there was internal money, but that was done with really a lot of support from two supervisors who uh, really were involved uh, in the trajectory. I received, as you said, John, I was a paid employee, which uh, really took a lot of the stress out of the equation. I was given the opportunity to yeah. teach as well. It helps not to have to march for healthcare. In no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and pension benefits, which really, I have to say, as an Eastern European, blew my mind. Um, but yeah. I was getting all of these benefits as a PhD candidate. So, yeah, I, it was a, a four-year trajectory. I was uh, strongly encouraged to write papers. So that's also something that is different, I think, from the American system. It was very much based, my dissertation is very much based on four articles which were submitted or accepted by the time that I was um, defending uh, in international journals. So that is quite different, I think, John, from the States. Yep, definitely. And that also yeah. explains a lot of our high productivity, I think, in the Netherlands, is that from very early on, we are very strongly encouraged to write in article form, not in book form. So I was thinking back of when I joined the ICS, and I think it's it has been the most daunting experience of my life um, during the interview for the ICS, um, which at that time was, I was in a room with nine professors from three universities who interviewed me for a PhD position. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And they were at that time, of course, all male. That's true. And um, yeah, that was very, very uh, frightening, actually. And I almost didn't apply. Um, because th- there will be an ad, there's there's an ad annually, and it always, I'm not sure it still does, but it used to say at least, um, we're looking for tomorrow's top researchers. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm actually not sure I'm going to be that, you know, <laughs> maybe, but, but um, I did get in, luckily. And then what I always felt, there was a very strong ICS identity from the start. And that is because we had theory courses at all locations of ICS taught by these different professors. And then we had methodological courses as well. And although the, the courses have um, changed a bit over time and they've been adapted and others um, have been added, it's still the case that you you all start at the same point. So everyone starts September 1st and you really are, are like a, a year group of PhD students who take their courses together at different universities. And then we have three annual meetings where you have to present your work and um, others are appointed to critique your work. And one of the things that I really appreciated is that I have had to critique work so far from what I do. I have had to uh, critique mathematical sociology, um, but also very qualitative work because that is actually also carried out within the ICS. And everything in between work um, that is 
really actually more genetic, if anything. And I think that that also made us feel very much like a, a group and a group that was willing to support each other. So yeah, I've, that's why I think we all still identify as ICS because the, the institutions are such that they put you in this group and there's a very strong norm that you participate. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I, I think uh, Giselinda at the last Dutch Sociological Association meeting, you described your experience in the yeah. ASSR yeah. As, as utopia. Yeah, well, close to, yeah. <laughs> so note that I was asked to talk about utopia. So, I, so the, and, then, and then I think it's, so I think this is the, it's also because the ASSR, so the Amsterdam School, um, used to be very like the ICS with the sort of very strong school shape. So even to the point that we all had the same building with just PhD candidates and we had our wow. own kitchen and a lot of, so that was, that was very, and there was, so there was even, so we had all, we had the key to the building. So we could enter it any time of the day or night and you would always find people. So that was, that was a very, very special period. And there's not that sort of specific that's, I think university just has professionalized to the extent that this was the 1990s that this couldn't happen anymore. Also including a sort of very strong group spirit. So I still see a lot of people from, so, but I think the, the, the general sort of tendency you still see in the AASSR, although that's a much bigger place. So there is a, a very strong push to do a lot of different things and to engage with other people and other topics that are not close to what you're doing. And I think there is a very strong force to go to talks, go to conferences, read things that are not directly related to your work. Uh, So I think in that respect, it actually operates along the same lines. But I think the focus is different in the sense that you will, so that, that the sorts of things and the sort of disciplines that you are sort of forced to engage with are a little different. So there is a lot of political science. There's a lot of anthropology that will be very hard to miss if you're in the ASSR or AISSR. So you are sort of forced to think outside of your own uh, field and discipline and direct interest, but you're forced in different directions. So you will. there will be a lot of geography. There will be a lot of political science. There will be a lot of uh, a much stronger presence of some geographies of qualitative research, a very different kind of theory. So a a strong engagement also with, I think, you know, uh, classical, very old theory. Uh, So there is, so I think the sort of the, the, what you're pushed into is I think very different in ASSR, but I think the tendency to see you really have to engage out of your field and you have to very, from very early on read a lot of things and also comment on people who are your senior and learn to express your insights and sort of take and give criticism and a wide range. I think that's a very strong part of also of the ASSR. And I think everybody who I've supervised has the same comment that sort of in the beginning, they're really complaining. So why why should I go to talk to, you know, an anthropologist who's working on Africa? I don't know anything about Africa. I never go there. It doesn't have anything to do with me. So it's really, it takes a lot of work to get PhD candidates to open up to all these sorts of things. And everybody sort of five years later, they come to me. So this is where I learned the most. This has been the most informative. This has learned me to think about things in a wider perspective. So it is, uh, so I think that the push to think about more than just your topic and to see yourself as part of this wider, really social science community. And I've always liked, so there used to be a quip in the ASSR that the Institute was not interdisciplinary, but anti-disciplinary. And I still, I still, I, it's, I still see that as a good insight that, you know, disciplines are sort of helpful as a, as an orientation point and a sort of a peg, but it's also, it shouldn't hamper you. And it's mm-hmm. really, yeah. This is an interesting point yeah. to actually maybe also discuss about how things are going right now, because at least my observation a little bit has been that more and more people are trying to, there's this, these different pushes. People are always talking about interdisciplinarity and all of these things, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, people, younger researchers are starting to specialize extremely early and really trying to find their niche, whatever that is, and then really sticking to that. So what I'm seeing among the, the younger PhD 
candidates is that there is now a little bit of a pushback to things that are distracting them from their clearly defined yeah. path. And I find this to be so dangerous because yeah. it's uh, both of you uh, said there when uh, Kizarina, that this push to go to these meetings that had nothing to do with my research yeah. was some of the best parts of my training. But this ability to relate mm -hmm. to things outside of my field, to critically think about things outside of my field was fantastic. And your own field, especially. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And I'm, I'm really afraid that now PhD candidates are so, there's such a focus more and more on, let's say, publishing more and more and more that they are trying to just specialize as fast as possible in order to get the highest returns. Yeah. Yeah. I think the system is definitely pushing in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I still have some PhD students who refuse to go there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is, it is absolutely true that I think there is really uh, much more, it was already quite competitive when I did my PhD, but it's so much more right now. It's really gone nuts in the last yeah. few years. Yeah. It's really yes. out of control. Do you think it has to do with the uh, early career grants and, and, and that being kind of the way to, to get, get your career off the ground? Or is that, is that where the competition comes from? Or? I think the competition comes partly from simply shrinking funding. I think that's yeah. so, so if there if there's fewer positions and fewer funds, it's also I mean there's still there's a lot of money going into PhD directories. So there's there's been an increase in people doing their PhDs in the social sciences, and at the same time, maybe it's the same, but I think it's even sort of decreasing number of positions, which means that people mm -hmm. really really and people are very very strongly aware of this. And greater internationalization. And, and also well. internationalization, that's also, I mean, that's also making things more complicated. So also in the Dutch department, increasingly, you see people, yeah, they have to compete with um, the world rather than yeah. just the Dutch PhDs. And I think everybody is very well aware of that. And that is making people a little nervous and stressed out and a little panicky. And I think... It seems a logical sort of strategy from the perspective of early career researchers to get as many to get as many paper out as you want, because that's what will get you your first big grant. And if you get your first big grant, that is the way to uh, to a position. So the system also because you know, the larger shift in Dutch academia is a lot of the money, the research money funding from the universities has been moved from the universities directly to the Dutch equivalent of like the science foundation. So it has to be externally and competitively gotten. Right. Uh, so that means so that people, people really are forced to think about their CVs very, very early on, even yeah. before applying for a PhD position. Yeah. And that is, it's so there was a point when it really when it sort of helped that people became a little more aware of you know that they were doing a PhD and that but there also was a job after that, but now mm -hmm. it's I think it's paralyzing people, and it's forcing them to focus and I so the problem is the problem is that I see also that specialization probably is the most rational strategy, at least in the. <laughs> Yeah, so, individually, specialization is probably the more right, most rational strategy, but it's it's terrible for your long-term uh, development, mm -hmm. and it's killing the discipline because it also means that all the sort of you know sharing and collective effort that makes up a, a department doesn't really work with sort of over-specialized people who are just working on their own CV. So I'm, I'm mm. a little concerned in that respect as to mm. what's happening. It's actually interesting because when I was preparing for, for this episode and I was reading a bit more about uh, the history of Dutch sociology, there was, of course, this period of the 70s, 80s that were really called the crisis and there was yeah. a, a huge mm -hmm. um, lack of trust in sociology, but also mm -hmm. very limited resources. Mm -hmm. And then came the 90s with these kind of grand statements that everything is okay with Dutch sociology yeah. and things are going to get better and better now. And it feels like we've gone yeah. back a full circle, unfortunately, given the current climate. Well, it's not a crisis yet. And I think really, I mean, it's, it's so what I remember when I was a student, which was, I started in 89. I mean, then it was really very, very depressive. So there were a lot of people who were still very bitter from the, from the occupations and the actions in the, in the 1970s. So that was very close to people's understanding. 
and I think that sociology is still is still doing extremely well if you if you look at it from the perspective of sort of the, the global or transnational field if you see how well people are doing how well they're publishing how well they're cited the sort of influence we or have but it is uh, and that has but it's but, but I'm concerned it seems to be sort of uh, leveling off and there are tendencies now that are sort of probably in the long run would be damaging if nothing happens and it's also so I, so and I and I left right I mean that's also <laughs> so I went to another place I think that's a comment enough in itself in a way but um, yeah. I think that this is a you made a very interesting point here um, that despite even in the darkest times that you described of, yeah. of this sociology the productivity and the influence of Dutch sociology has actually been quite clear uh, in terms of, okay, output, if you want, Mm -hmm. but also what Dutch sociologists have been doing in terms of influence on social policy, the clear connections of Dutch sociologists with uh, non-governmental organizations. So there's really been a continuous outreach, despite maybe surprisingly decreasing trust in the social scientists and the social sciences, which is not just sociology, of course, but the sociologists continue to produce really excellent work. Yeah. So I think compared with many other places in the world, I mean, the infrastructure, the academic infrastructure is just very good. I mean, the funding no, has no. been, has been really quite good until recently. Uh, there has been a lot of support. There is also a lot of, Direct support, not only, but also indirect support in the sense that many social scientists are are sort of hired and employed by all sorts of policies. So there are lots of direct links to public institutions and all sorts of NGOs. And I think this is also one of the the advantages of being a small country is that the links are actually, so it's, it's fairly well integrated. And I think that has supported, so for instance, there is the Dutch what's called the SAP, the planning office. So it has a very very long English name that I keep forgetting, but there are lots of sort of direct interrelations between academic sociology research and these sorts of institutions that are sort of think tanks. Uh, And I think that is also, I think that has, that has helped and hampered that sociology. So it has made it sort of practical, empirically oriented, not too radical, uh, there are no big theorists here. So I think many Americans think of European sociology as a place where, you know, people sit at desks and think deep thoughts and then have debates <laughs> with other intellectuals who have think deep thoughts. And, well, we don't have those. Or, okay, maybe we have one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but we don't. So, but but it's a different sort of, but it's a, it's a form that works very well also because it has allowed that sociology sort of to take in a lot of influences from the surrounding countries. So, Bourdieu was very early on adopted into Dutch sociology, both in the ICS and in the ASSR, but also there have been links with with German sociologists. So there has been a lot of adoption of sort of big French ideas and sort of translating them into something that was more empirical and and grounded. I think this is what, what Dutch sociology has been good at, in sort of taking up all these ideas and making it into something a little more modest but robust. It's actually, it's a very different point I wanted to um, raise as well, is that I think that in my experience, what's also really different is that we're all in the office every day. So we don't work from home or hardly, or that maybe depends a bit on, on but all the univer- Dutch universities I've worked at, um, we're really in the office and we, and we lunch together. But then the people that I did my PhD with, or were, who were in my group, spread out to all the other Dutch universities. So we're also within, so we're a very tiny country and we only have a couple of universities. But I think, well, I haven't met John before, but (laughs) apart from him, I think I really know most Dutch sociologists. (laughs) It is a a very well connected, I have to say, very well connected field. Yeah, well, social integration, very high. Yeah. <laughs> and not just in academic sociology, but also, as, as this Linda would say... In the entire country, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Into the entire country and into sociologists that work in these yeah. non-academic institutes and do, yes. do very applied and policy-based yeah. research. And also, yeah. to add, so the integration also, it, it links, it's, it also extends to the media. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's also very good connections with different newspapers and with, so I think in that respect, you'll see sociologists also having a public position that's probably uh, stronger and more visible than in many other places. So I think that too, I think there, if you, any week you'll see, if you have one of the Dutch newspapers, there will be some sort of op-ed or interview with a Dutch sociologist. So I think the integration stretches across the whole country. Well, obviously mm-hmm. the, the elite part of the country. So now that you're talking about the things that maybe strengthen their sociology, I was wondering what other thoughts you have, what makes that sociology so successful or what, what do we do well? I was wondering, maybe everybody from their little perch, as uh, John called it. I say international position, so international networks, I think really helps. So that includes the awareness of uh, what happens in many different places. Okay, so I think the the very strong, I think the Netherlands has traditionally in all fields and also in sociology tried to identify itself as sort of a hub of many different places. And I think Dutch social sciences have exploited this position of being in the middle very mm-hmm. well. So Eva already mentioned the the migrants that founded right. ICS. And of yeah. course, also also in, in the Amsterdam school, it was a migrant. So Norbert yes. Elias, who became a focal point. So I think yeah. that using the sort of uh, international influence and sort of integrating it and also repackaging it, I think is one of the strong suits of... Uh, I was wondering, do you think that um, what's typical of the sociology is kind of this import of questions rather than... Is, are there unique Dutch research, uh, sociological questions? Because my, my impression is that a lot of the questions are a little bit imported mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. from neighboring countries primarily or from the or from the states. A lot of the interests replicate things doing that in the states. I'm not sure if there is yeah. something that makes yeah. sociology unique, a sociological question. Or maybe we even to put it even more provocatively, is there Dutch sociology or is there just sociology in the Netherlands? <laughs> I'm inclined to to agree with the latter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have very strong. So I know, you know, there are some fields that I'm I'm personally familiar with that are very very strong in the Netherlands and that are also very influential um, in terms of how they um, influence um, research in other countries. So there's a small, a very active group of people who do sort of really quantitative historical um, social stratification research. But there's also, I think, one of the things that the Netherlands has been very good at is um, at social networks in terms of methodology, but also in terms of substantive questions. And I think the the group of of social networks people is actually quite influential worldwide, I would say. But I don't think that that there exists something like a Dutch sociology. Mm. We're just sociologists in the Netherlands <laughs> with a very, very good institutional infrastructure. So what are we doing here? <laughs> no, I would agree. I, I don't really see the point of trying to define it as, you know, as there is, I mean, the variations within Dutch sociology are probably larger than the, yeah, than and there's so many similarities with different and i think that's i think that's okay i don't really see why why academic disciplines should have so they have national flavors surely but they don't yeah. i mean it, i don't really see the point of I, I think i think that would be a weird and sort of suspicious project if we're trying to found a <laughs> sociology that is i mean that would be odd right i, I mean yeah. you can see that there are sort of things that spring from the specific uh, institutional context and from the history of the country. But I think all of these are, so the examples that Eva just mentioned, so the Netherlands is really strong in, our Dutch sociologists are really good at networks, at the sort of historical quantitative. But I think there too, there is also this interesting, so it's it's strong groups, but there are mm-hmm. also strong hubs. Of, and I think one of the examples I wanted to mention mm-hmm. is something that people probably know is, so I mentioned um Cultural sociology is something that was sort of a a good uh, fit with the sort of historical qualitative Dutch tradition and the journal Poetics, which is now now sort of the the flagship of of cultural sociology, was actually run from the Netherlands for uh, exclusively for 20, 20, 25 years by Kees van Rees, and now it's partly run in the Netherlands. So I think what you'll see is that there are just some groups 
that are very strong in the Netherlands, but they're very, very much part of an international network. Yes, I think the yeah. frustration. I think the frustration in Dutch sociology is that that this is often uh, not seen. So that so even so that it's. It's sort of so. My supervisor, my PhD supervisor, used to describe it as a one-way mirror. You know, the thing that they mm-hmm. have in experimental research, mm-hmm. where the experimenters look at you know kids playing and make the observations. So we're the ones behind the mirror in the sense of <laughs> everything that happens abroad, and we're yeah. very aware of this. But then the other way round, people just you know see themselves. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit how we started uh, this uh, whole conversation. Exactly, yeah. this was yeah. our goal today to like get yeah. people to look the other way. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is that you have to. I mean, from the so you have to leave the room. You have to open the door, walk around, open another door. So it's a lot of. So that's actually what you're doing. But it's more work from the people on the other side of the mirror because they. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a very strong experience that I think all of us have when you go abroad. So maybe not to the UK. So there they seem to be sort of, but yes. in, in the US, they have no idea or they interpret what we do exclusively, either in the terms of American sociology completely, mm-hmm. or they make it into something really sort of interesting and unique and quaint and <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> and I think that's, that's, that can be very frustrating. So either you're this weird person who writes about these odd places where they do everything differently, or you're sort of just like them. And I yeah. think that's mm-hmm. what happens. And that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of my well, telling experiences there, I guess, is that uh, I once submitted uh, an article. to. Um, so I think this is an experience we all have. If you do research that is not on the U.S., you always have to justify, yeah. Yes. Right. So you always have to write why, it, even though it does not include the U.S., it might still be interesting. Right. Yeah. And I have an uh, American colleague, and she actually now sort of sees it. She's on the other side of the mirror now, I guess. Um, yeah. So she sees <laughs> it now um, from the European perspective, and how frustrating it is that if she uses European data or any, it's she'll always have to explain why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is well. Maybe it's um you know it's not that big a deal. We're I think we're we've all gotten very good at explaining why it's <laughs> interesting because we had to. But yeah, that that sort of I think that reflects how it is still from the other side of the Atlantic seen as something very exotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that this is only particular to Dutch sociologists. No, no, no. no, no, no. It's all no. of Europe is treated yes. a little bit as this quaint old cousin. Yes. Well, in fact, and it, the connections within Europe are quite strong, though. I, I think that uh, whenever I go to a European conference, there's a lot of uh, mixing between colleagues from different countries. Many of my collaborators are from across different uh, European countries. So Europe is uh, really uh, networking quite well. Mm-hmm. It's just that these bridges across the Atlantic are a little bit harder to to make. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, well, personally, I actually I must say, so I have uh, I collaborate with lots of people in Europe and in Canada and Australia, <laughs> <laughs> but not the US. Yeah. No, I once I so one of the things where you see this problem is that so many of the papers that that sociologists write, the subtitle always ends with in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, or, right. Or in twenty European countries. Or in yes. twenty countries. So it yes. always so all the titles and you get these really odd, long, clunky titles because they all have to sort of specify, you know, we're looking at a place. And you can tell, and so, and I think everybody in Europe, so they've, so there's a lot of comparative work in Europe, and I think that's because everybody in Europe has discovered the same sort of useful strategy of writing something interesting about some interesting sociological fact in 20 European countries. (laughs) (laughs) And and this is, and, and that's, you know, it's also interesting, and it has been very fertile, and it leads to very interesting results, and of course the institutional context are a very good basis for comparison and everything, but sometimes it's a lot, it's a little aggravating that you have to be so specific, yeah. And I find that it's also a little bit surprising that actually more Americans are not interested in the data that uh, European countries are able to provide because I think that one of the strengths of European mm-hmm. uh, sociology, but Dutch sociology in particular, 
are the incredible data sources that are yeah. out there. Um, the Netherlands is, uh, well, of course, behind the Scandinavian countries, but the Netherlands has phenomenal registered data. These data can be combined with all sorts of survey, matched with different surveys. Um, so it's really incredible the kind of uh, rich data that we have at our fingertips, often also publicly available or easy to gain access to. So uh, given all the complaints that I hear from American colleagues about different surveys and the difficulty of, for example, measuring even something like cohabitation, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that there is not more push to actually use our data sources. Well, but would you want to? All the Americans coming to... <laughs> it's, also, oh. I mean, it's, also part of, it's also part of the, the capital of Europe, right? I mean, one of the, the things that the strengths of European sociology are built on, that we have all these cool data, so we can always do all these cool multi-level <laughs> yeah but that's the thing that i think that uh, if there's some sort at least if they get a little bit more jealous maybe of our data mm-hmm. then they'll yeah. be more open to kind of uh, looking at the kind of things that we are also doing because yeah. it's also especially i think in eva and my field we're both in the field of family sociology it is so such an interesting uh, exercise to look at how family is done in the United States and how it is done in, in a number of European countries. And just looking purely at the United States, we've gotten this kind of idea of what family is, how family functions, mm. which is not as yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which has so little to do with Europe. No. Yeah. No, there is I think that would help. So there are also in my fields, there are a number of places when I really where I really think also just the concept and the theories have been influenced by by the american situation in such mm-hmm. a way that it's almost impossible to work with the concepts so one of the things that i've recently discovered so so what is so part of my work is on beauty and so i've done research in a number of different countries and beauty is clearly affected by racial appearance so people tend to have very specific understandings of how you know black people and asian people and sort of mixed people and all these sorts of how they are sort of stereotyped to be more or less beautiful or sort of specific forms of beauty and and it's one of the places where really the american literature which is on race which is very dominant doesn't really help you because it has this sort of very binary systems which is the north american or the really the u.s system of race and if you look at it to the in the european contexts you find that there's actually so people have very distinct understandings of different forms of whiteness mm-hmm. and this is very important so you have scandinavian whiteness and you have mm-hmm. middle european whiteness and you have mediterranean whiteness and so the American concepts, they, you know, I get stuck. Yeah. Uh, and the same, so there is supposed to be just, you know, you have this sort of black, non, non-black. non And it's and so it's not just the, the practical problems of doing research and getting your meaning across, but it's also in some cases you really notice that the, the theories and the concepts we use are rooted in a specific parochial context and that they sort of mm-hmm. are not as valid. And I think this is a more fundamental problem that yeah. sometimes the theories are, and I think probably also in thinking about family, mm. which is your field, I'm sure that the American understanding of family sort of seeps through in how we do, in how the theories and how the concepts are constructed. And it's... And not, what, also what questions uh, what yes, questions yeah. are found is important. That's yeah. also the mm-hmm. main thing. I, yeah. I mean, ever I'm sure you've had plenty of uh, issues where, uh, plenty of situations where you had to explain at length why you don't differentiate between marriage and cohabitation in the yeah. Netherlands. And okay, it's yeah. just, this yeah. is very um, dominant, this uh, way of thinking about what family is and yeah. how family is done. So what, what's very interesting, uh, Katja, is that you define me as a family sociologist. Yeah, I would say so, no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's just one of the things that I do. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm, I still manage to keep it very broad. So um, I think officially I'm in migration and integration, <laughs> uh, which I also do, uh, yeah. and I also do networks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're one of those more, uh, uh, yes, one of those unique uh, creatures that does a little bit of, uh, yes. <laughs> I do a little bit of everything, so I know nothing uh, no. really. But um, yeah, I really agree that that race, the thinking in terms of race is also very dominant in the literature on migration or on the mm. literature on, on ethnic uh, inequality and it's not very helpful in um, a European case at all. But then I always have to explain why we don't 
categorize people in terms of race, but in terms of ethnicity mm. um, or country of origin, maybe. Mm. Yeah, so that's, but I guess you, so it's not the fact that I have to justify myself, you know, that's okay, I can live with that, but I agree with Pisa Linda that it's actually, so many of the main theories sort of implicitly take this American perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an un- unequal burden placed on placed on you to have to justify your framework as opposed to somebody coming from the kind of more mainstream one. So I, I think we're used to that. So in, in Europe or, or in the Netherlands, I think we're more used to, to realizing how a particular sort of background of, of these main theories help shape them. And I think maybe uh, uh, Americans are less aware of, of this problem. So I don't know, John, if you... Um, you were yeah. for a long time in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say anything uh, uh, too generalizing. <laughs> no, <laughs> because because uh, I, I think it it also varies a lot by field. But I think I think mm-hmm. maybe um, part of how you know peer review systems and and academic publication work is that yeah it does place an uneven burden. So if you're cu- if you're studying a weird case or you're studying it with different concepts, then you're put into the position of having to justify it, and uh, yeah. yeah, and you have to come up with the clunky subtitles that say you know in the netherlands or you have to um you have to you know go for a a lower tier journal or you have to you know add an appendix uh, to explain why you're using this concept or this uh, not this concept and that's um and and in the u.s uh you kind of have i guess the privilege of not having to do that because the reviewers are are kind of have a more natural understanding of what or a more intuitive understanding of where you're coming from so i think i think that's that's definitely true and that's that's part of this parochial vision that i think one becomes very very aware of especially when working in a in in hubs like chiselinda was saying that that's that you know we we tend to be based in here in the netherlands that are that do have all these international linkages so i think that's that's one way to look at it Mm -hmm. if uh if it's not too uh too too self-indulgent i would like to bring up a, a different topic <laughs> that, Go ahead. Uh, not not because I want to change the topic but because because uh, I think that was very important to, to get out um, Linda already mentioned Norbert Elias a few times and I'm always very interested in these kinds of uh, local to, to, to go back to maybe a, a different kind of parochialism maybe in a more more um, positive sense kind of local heroes or local theorists that are held up because they happen to have yeah, lived where one is based. So I was a, an exchange student in Prague for a while. And in Prague, in sociology, everybody was crazy about Weber, but about uh-huh. Alfred Weber, not Max Weber, <laughs> because he was there for, I think, two or three years towards the end of his career. And in Amsterdam, I mean, uh, one of the things that I that I uh, really love there, because I, I, I'm a big Elias fan, is yeah how how present he is. And people, you, you, you know, you meet sociologists who talk about oh you know Norbert used to say <laughs> yeah and he's very much a living presence still um so I, this is this is more of a question for for Fisalinda, of course but um I wonder if you could um yeah talk a little bit about what the importance of Norbert has been <laughs> yeah. in your own career and and also in how how um, sociology in the Netherlands is structured and and what its contribution or profile continues to be yeah. So, uh, so Elias. Uh, so he was born in Germany. So he was Jewish. He had to flee. So he he traveled. So he traveled around. He lived in in Ghana for a bit, and in the in the UK for a long time. And toward the end of his life, he lived in Amsterdam, and he did so on the on the invitation of my PhD supervisor, Joop Hausblom. So that's what happened. Hausblom had been a big fan of Elias for a long time, even since the, since he was a student, so in the 1950s. And the influence Elias, so Joop sort of imported him and then introduced him to a number of students. So he taught for a long time. So he strongly influenced the generation of people who were studying in the 1970s. And many of those also became faculty members of the Department of Sociology. Uh, so he became sort of so in his program, which is wider than what people know, so civilization theory, but really is sort of a, a processual understanding of sociology that fits very well with more recent relational approaches. And it's actually, it's a very radical approach. If you see it, not just as the story of the civilizing process, but really as the sort of theoretical program, it's a, it's a, it's some, sometimes I think it's also very close, close to some of the 
formulations of actor network theory. Uh, and it became the basis of a sort of historical, comparative, relational approach that became very strongly anchored when this Amsterdam school was founded. And then I came in as sort of the, the generation of, let's say, the, the grandchildren from mm -hmm. this perspective of Norbert Elias. And that is a very privileged position in the sense that I, had not, I didn't have to sort of uh, stick to the party line as much as the generation before me, but instead could use Elias in a sort of looser sense, so using what I liked and not losing what I didn't like. Uh, and I think his work has been very influential. So the specific understanding of doing comparative work, of looking at processual approaches. And I think it has been a, a merger of, of Elias and Bourdieu, I think, in Amsterdam that has made it more distinctive. And, and Bourdieu and Elias also, they knew each other and they were sort of mutual, admiring each other and they sometimes quote each other. So that's not, it's not a silly match. It's a very sort of mm -hmm. logical mm -hmm. match. But for me, so I've done, I've done sort of also more processual. There's usually sort of comparative and long-term approach, even when I do research in one specific moment, in one specific place. And I think this is a sort of approach that I uh, also a sort of anti-essentialistic relational approach that I think that has really become part of me, but also more in a sort of integrated, habituated way than that I sort of have to actively mm -hmm. position myself as a figurational scholar. So I don't, mm -hmm. so I, and that's, I think that's, as I said, that's really the privilege of being sort of um, bred in a specific school and being sort of among the grandchildren. So I don't have to do the the political sort of, I'm part of this school thing, but it's really become a, a part of how I operate. Yeah, so I think at this point that you made about the grandchildren not being so burdened, uh, yeah. it's, it's really a good point because I think it's the same you can observe with uh, the graduates of the ICS, that yeah. you, know, you had these first, uh, also German, Dippler, Lindenberg, yeah. Yeah. the ones that really established the ICS, and very, um, very rational uh, approaches uh, to sociology, and you see yeah. that over the generations, actually, their grandchildren, that would be the generation before me a little bit, yeah. maybe, uh, <laughs> uh -huh. so they've they really um, stepped away from these yeah. very hardcore, rational choice uh, approaches uh, to yeah. sociology. So you can see very similar development in both mm -hmm. um, schools of thought, I suppose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I think that that's one of the pluses that I see right now, well, in sociology in the Netherlands, is that there's a lot of attempts to kind of bridge other disciplines as well. Yeah. A lot of um, trying to reach out to the economists, sometimes successfully, yeah. sometimes less so. Yeah. But political scientists, um, mm -hmm. geneticists, a lot yeah. of work uh, done with geneticists as well. Yeah, psychologists. I think psychology for me, psychologists, media studies, and anthropology. Mm -hmm. So it's really it goes in all directions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what I, the one thing that I really like about Tilburg right now, where I am, is that there's much more of an integration between the sociology and psychology departments. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There's also institutional support for collaborative works with um, the psychology departments and other departments, the social science departments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and from my perspective, I, I, I now work in an anthropology department. Yeah. I, would, I wouldn't say that they weren't a little bit nervous about hiring a sociologist, but, um, but it's, it's working well. And, uh, and I work with geographers and media studies people all the time also. So it's, um, and it's, yeah, it's not, a, not an odd thing to do here at all, I think, no. too. Uh, um, so that's, and it's supported. There's, uh, there's grants at the university level for interfaculty collaborations and stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Yes, we have that here as well. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think uh, um, another thing that I that sometimes annoys me about American sociology, I'll just put it in that in those terms, is that yeah, if if work is being done on what you're working on, but it's in communications research or it's in social psychology or maybe social psychology not, but or, or in geography, urban studies, then you can kind of safely ignore it because you focus on what sociologists are doing primarily. Yeah. And I think you can't really get away with that here again, maybe because oh. of the social integration <laughs> between yeah. uh, between all the different strands. But also, I think because of the way, for example, incentives are structured in the Netherlands, where, for example, if you are going for one of the large prestigious grants in the Netherlands, the committees are so interdisciplinary 
that yeah. your work definitely yeah. has to somehow catch the attention yeah. of people from, I mean, law, for example. Right. Uh, you really have to justify your existence a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, plus we're now operating in the SSH domain in the yeah. social sciences plus humanities, for better or worse, because it basically is, I think, just a big ploy to take funding away. Yes. <laughs> but- can be the um, the topic of a whole another episode. Yes, let's not <laughs> let's not uh, let's not devolve into ranting. No, <laughs> no. Let's end on a positive note. <laughs> yes, yeah. let's find a positive note. Maybe uh, maybe uh, since we wanted to also um, highlight some of the contributions, I know we've gone into that some, but maybe um, we could use our remaining time to talk about what we think is is going well, what we think is exciting about what's happening here. Oh, that's a very yeah. hard question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so used to complaining. But I suppose we could we could expand Dutch sociology to include all of Dutch speaking sociology. Yeah. I think there is I think a part of the it's really interesting. Part of the integration that is already happening is that the, the Dutch speaking part of Belgium, which um, which Leuven is part, is that there, it's strongly getting well, my sort of my corridor, my hallway in the building, I think there are five Dutch people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I think also when I was in Amsterdam, both my neighbor to the left and the right of my office were from Belgium. So, so, so I think th- these are increasingly part of the same field and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's also, it's a sort of similar country. We speak the same language. We're in the European context. And one of the ways to keep these sort of smallish, language fields alive and not sort of be completely submerged by an English speaking American dominated field is sort of working together across these national boundaries. And I'm actually pleased that this happens. And it's interesting, but Belgium is strange because it's so different. But also looking back, looking back from now from my new vantage point, I mean, Dutch sociology, I mean, there's it's there is it's very energetic. Because there is this big push to working together with people in, in with different methods in different fields and different disciplines, yeah, there is a strong sense of energy and of things happening and of inter- being being international and producing a lot of very interesting work in a range of fields. And I think this is something that's really different, that's really unique for the Netherlands. Also, if you compare it with any other European country, I mean, this level of wide-ranging, productive, innovative work, it's very difficult to see that in another place. I mean, just with so few departments and so few people. And so it's very difficult to point to things that are specifically good or fields that are specifically good because everybody in their field is doing really good work. And I think that's what's yeah. most most interesting about that, that sociology, that it's so many people doing things that are so relevant and you can't really say, so this is the one group that is excellent and then everybody else is. It's no, just no. not how it works. It's like this sort of overall high level work. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think it's, so we're now actually exporting people as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah. we may be founded by uh, imported by imports, but I work for the University of Stockholm one day a week and there are more and more Dutch people now there, or at, let's say people trained in Dutch sociology who now um, go to Stockholm. I think Oxford for quite Oxford. some time is yeah. like yeah. A, a Dutch colony, basically. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I, I see more and more that sort of the more or less empirical approach or the sort of the, the tradition of anti-disciplinarity maybe, or just look beyond your own small area of expertise that we export that to other countries in Europe, at least, maybe not so much to the US. So yeah, I think we're doing well in that respect as well. Yeah, I would say I would say there is such a thing as a European sociological field is emerging, mm-hmm. uh, that is becoming sort of more noticeable and with its own distinctive qualities. And in this field, I think the Netherlands is a, is a sort of has a very central position in terms major of training player. as a major player, but also I think it has also in terms of setting the agenda. And uh, yeah. so I think this is, I think this is how you should see it, that I think the, the rise of Dutch sociology or the importance of Dutch sociology is also has to do with, you know, the emergence of a, a new version. So not the old European sociology of, book writing 
men, yeah. <laughs> but, a, but a different, yeah. but a different form that is more that is more empirical and much more about teamwork. But that's really distinctive from from what happens in the U.S. And I think it's interesting that you know, for instance, also Italy and Scandinavia are very much part of this. Even though France probably not so much because they have their own, you know, their own bubble or mm-hmm. <laughs> mirrored room. And Germany also not so much because I think no. these are the these are the two that have their own that, that are big enough to sustain sustain themselves and all the others increasingly are finding them and I think it's and the UK is also part of that I think that is yes. interesting yeah and I think the interesting thing here is that uh, it also stems from the fact that for example there are currently what only two Dutch language uh, magazine uh, uh, journals yeah. surviving mm-hmm. yeah. for sociology and they're not doing they're not doing well they're at not all. doing very no, well no, yes, no. unfortunately no. so yeah. while for example in Germany there are and in France as well there are uh, quite yeah. a few out outlets um, in German and French. Yeah, Um, right. It's quite common to read a German professor's CV and most everything will be in German. Yeah. 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 Same for same for France and in the Netherlands, you, you would you would not even get a tenure track position if there is no English. It just does not happen. No. Yeah, in the Netherlands, you know, it it cannot happen. No, no, it would be yeah. impossible. So making yeah. your career on Dutch language writing is just, I mean, the last to get this was probably in the 1990s. So you've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast today with a special international perspective from the Netherlands. A special thank you to our guests, Eva Jaspers of Utrecht University and Christine Kaupers coming from Leuven. My name is John Boy. And my name is Katia Ivanova. Thank you for listening.